A quick reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And if you've ever tried to sell your magic cards, oh my God, it's not easy. You gotta sort, you gotta type, you gotta ship. It's a lot of work, a big hassle, takes a lot of time and effort. Well, Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards. And if you want to avoid all those hassles, avoid all that time, this new service from the folks over at Card Hoarder will sort grade and even sell your magic cards for you. And once your shipment is processed, you'll receive the proceeds minus their fee. And right now, you can even get a 10% discount by heading over to cardconduit.com goldfish. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 326 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have a super special cast this week. We have a, a slightly different cast than usual and a super special guest. So uh, we, of course, have Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. How are you doing today, Richard? Hey, Seth. Doing well. Uh, got my COVID shot. Battle through that. Battle through allergies. But I'm good to go. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good. The, the COVID, how was uh, how was the COVID shot for you? Did it did it wreck you for a day or two? Or oh, was I was it too fine. Bad? My wife was out of it, but I was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, nothing happened to me. <laughs> Oh, well, was that was that your first one or your second one? First one. The, the second uh, one's going to be just wait, the, the, just the real wait. test. <laughs> yeah, that the second one is the real test. But uh, that's uh, that's exciting. We also have a super special guest this week, which I am really hyped for. And that is longtime pro player, MPL member, control master, uh, guitar master, I think as well. Andrew Cunio is joining us this week to talk about organized play stuff. Andrew, uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, so just for maybe some members in the audience who don't follow Pro Magic really closely, is there uh, anything you'd like to add to that inter- uh, introduction? Like, uh, well, what should people know about you? Well, I, I'm definitely a longtime uh, competitive Magic player. I I played my my first my first Pro Tour was the Mirage Block constructed Pro Tour in Paris, which was a very long time ago. And is infamous for the Mike Long having uh, drained life in his lap. Oh, the- <laughs> oh, yes. The that so that had to be like late nineties then, right? Like ninety seven or something, ninety eight, somewhere in there. It was ninety seven, I think. Okay, that sounds about. So that was your first pro tour, and then I know you had several pro tour top eights in the early two thousands, and then. You kind of took a break for a while and then came back in like what 2011 was that was that the next pro tour after your little uh, gap there? I think that that was I think it was either 2011 or maybe 2012. I decided to start trying to play competitive magic again around then and the first event I qualified for coming back was the last of the old style giant worlds. Oh. So it was a, a worlds that was in San Francisco. And as far as actual gameplay, you're kind of known as a as a control master and like one of the the innovators of like Drago control as an archetype back in the the earlier days of magic. And I know I was watching, uh, oh boy, Caltime championship or whatever, whatever the new pro tour thing was a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you were still doing it. You were playing some blue black control and historic and actually putting up results. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I think I know you play non-control decks too, but it seems like if you got a choice, you're probably going to go with control. Uh, it's definitely a deck. I, I, I enjoy playing it. 
And uh, I, I try to play it whenever I think it might be good, which a lot of times I played it when it wasn't actually good. <laughs> well, one thing I will say is I, I'm actually the person who coined the phrase Drago. Oh, I think a lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that. I knew you uh, were like a big innovator of the archetype, but I didn't know you actually coined the phrase. That's a uh, that's super interesting. So what what deck uh, was your first draw go deck? Well, this has to be like late 90s, too, I assume. Yeah. The uh, if you go back to, to that time period, there was a deck that people referred to as the deck, which was a, a vintage control deck that was popularized by a guy named Brian Weissman. Mm -hmm. But I made a mono blue control deck for standard at the time that used like Whispers of the Muse and Nevenerol's Disc and Capsize. And I was friends with Randy Bueller, who was playing on the Pro Tour at that time. And so he wound up playing that deck and doing well with it, I think, at like a, a Worlds in maybe 98 or 99, something like that. But I, I basically had given him the idea for the deck. Interesting. Yeah, I knew you were you were on a team with Randy, right? Uh, and also like Eric Lauer and Mike Turian, I think, in, in that era? Uh, sort of. That actually, I, I knew all of those guys from, from college, but when they were playing at on the pro scene mostly, I had, I had graduated and moved and had a, a full-time job and wasn't actually playing on the pro tour with them. Oh. So like we're all we're all friends, but we don't exactly overlap in a, in a way that is that easy. Uh, OK, well, one of the reasons and the biggest reason that we wanted to have you on the cast today is a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode talking a lot about organized play and like the current state of organized play. And uh, me and you talked a little bit about it on Twitter after the podcast and you have a insider's perspective, basically. Uh, someone who is actually currently in the MPL has been playing Pro Magic for a long time. So we figured you would be the perfect person to kind of share the inside view of what's it like to actually be a pro player in this system. And uh, the first question I have for you is... Uh, <sighs> So you're in the MPL, the highest level of magic, uh, professional magic at the moment. Is that like your only job? Like, is being in the MPL enough that, I mean, you can do magic full time? Uh, is that is that kind of where the MPL is at? Yes, I'm kind of in a different circumstance than a lot of the people in the MPL where uh, I, I mean, the money's nice, but it's not a, a super driving force for me. But there are definitely there there are people in the MPL uh, who you know they they have a family they're they're supporting their family mostly I mean most of those people do earn money doing content creation on top of the kind of the the money you get from playing competitively and from being in the MPL but it, it, everybody in the MPL is, is earning a good living the the only caveat to that though is that. It's not really a long-term career, so it, it, you, you don't really know where you're going to wind up if you if you fall out of the MPL. Yeah, the, we actually kind of just uh, started to see this a little bit with the with some people dropping out of rivals, which I guess is kind of an interesting segue. What about rivals? So you're in the MPL. Is rivals enough that it can be your full time job, or is the the step down in income so much that then you're you know looking for other gigs to support yourself in rivals? Well, it, it's going to depend on everybody's circumstance. 
certainly what, what, what Wizards has told the players is that they don't think that people in Rivals should be like just the money you get from Rivals is not enough for you to live on. They, they're not trying to claim that being a Rivals competitor should be your full-time job. And there are a bunch of people in Rivals who have full-time careers outside of Magic. Uh, I, I don't know of anybody in the MPL right now who has a full-time job that isn't Magic-related. So oh. kind of MPL then is the idea seems to kind of be like Magic is your full-time job. With Rivals, it's kind of your part-time job, I guess, but you probably have to be uh, doing something else as well, most likely, depending on your personal circumstances, of course, to support yourself. Yeah. So, so this might be skipping around a bit, but if MPL is your full-time job, do you feel you have the power to maintain MPL, that it's 100% in your control, or um, it's like a die roll? Uh, like, would it be wise for you to quit your full-time job to join MPL? Or would you be like, ah, maybe it's a one or two year thing. Maybe you should keep your full-time job on standby just in case. Well, it, it's certainly a bit of a die roll, which I, I don't know how much you want to get in the weeds of how the relegation system works this year. But the way that it's structured, the, the MPL had 20, has 24 people in it this year, probably about 18 of them are going to get relegated to rivals for next year, which is a, that's effectively a, a pay cut of probably at least $20,000. We don't know exactly what the, the, the payouts are going to be for next year, but if it's similar to what it was this year, it's, it's, it's a pretty big drop down in pay. And it's, they really tried to crank up the churn on people changing in the MPL for this season. So it's going to be pretty brutal when we get to the end of the season. And uh, just to be clear, I'm in a f I'm in last place of all the people who haven't been relegated yet. So I, I have like the tiniest chance of not getting relegated. It's an incredible long shot for me to stay in the MPL. So, so with the, with the relegation, um, will you, uh, with your standings in the league, will you just get uh, relegated down to rivals or, isn't there like a tournament or something that a bunch of rivals slash MPL players play to see who stays in the MPL? Uh, the the system is a little confusing to me, so I'm trying to like piece it all together. But is that part of the system? Yes, that is part of the system. So what what's what's happening in what they call the Strixhaven League weekends for the MPL is at the end of each league weekend, they're removing the top placed player, and that person is qualified for worlds and is guaranteed to be in the MPL next year. The bottom three people are getting relegated. I think that the last week they might chop four people out, but at the end of that, they're going to be down to four people who are automatically in the MPL and fifth through 16th are going to be left. They split those people up depending on where they are in the standings. And you play one of two different tournaments. And if you do well in those tournaments, you get to stay in the MPL. Like the people who are in like fifth place to, I think it's 12th, maybe, go to a tournament where it's easier to stay in the MPL. The other people go to a tournament where it's much harder to stay in the MPL. And you're joined in those tournaments by people from the Rivals League who've done well and by people who are considered challengers who've come from outside of the system and they've done well at tournaments throughout the year. So I, I know there's been like a lot of complaining on Twitter from MPL people about how stressful 
the the league weekends are. And I mean, it, it's true that they're stressful, but I I, I think that you're going to really see people be unhappy after they get to the end of the, after they go into these gauntlet things and they've played all year and maybe they finish sixth or seventh in the standings and they have a bad weekend at the gauntlet and then they get relegated. Uh, I, I'm expecting there to be a, some complaints. It, it is it's a really brutal system, but it is it's what we all signed up to do too. So. So how do you think it compares to, I guess, the the old system? You've been doing uh, Pro Magic for a while now. Is it more brutal? When I when I saw some of those tweets from people about the stress of the league weekends, I was thinking, okay, like I'm sure it's stressful, but how does that compare to, you know, needing a couple of points to hit gold or platinum when you have one match on camera and a feature match or something under the old system? Like, do you think this new system is is more stressful for for players? Uh, yes, in the sense that. I, I'm going to be falling from the MPL to Rivals, so I'm still going to be part of the system. For the people that fall from the Rivals into the Challenger thing, they're basically the same as you would be if you decided to try to become a pro, a pro Magic player next year. They basically have to start from scratch if they want to get back in the system, which is really hard. Under the old, under like the, the previous system, you could, if you were a good Magic player and you were willing to travel to Grand Prix, even if you had had a weak year the previous year, you could you know, try harder, go to more Grand Prix, maybe just get luckier the next year, and you could be right back at the, at the top tier, the Platinum tier. It wasn't that hard to move back and forth. In this system, it is very hard to move up once you fall down to the bottom. Yeah, I think we've seen kind of some issues with that from the very creation of MPL and Rivals, where there were some people who were very good players and, uh, you know, at Platinum or high ranks under the old system who just missed the cutoff. And uh, it's been a couple of years now and still not, you know, really able to break into the scene. So do you think it's, is it harder or easier to remain a pro player under this system? Well, it's certainly from my position, it's been easier for the past three years to stay in, in the top tier. Like I basically got into the MPL on a complete fluke. I was finishing off a, a season where I was going to be gold tier under the old system. And it, which it, that was pretty much every year I, I was, I was trying to hit gold. Occasionally I would spike up to platinum, but I wasn't like so, some of the, the, the really big names in pro magic were consistently platinum. I was never that. But I had I was pretty solidly gold, and there was a Grand Prix in Richmond, which is driving distance for me. And Reed Duke, who I'm good friends with, was trying to win the Player of the Year, and he was going to drive down to that Grand Prix. And my house was on the way, so he said, "Do you want to just go to this Grand Prix with me?" And I said, "Sure, I'll go and play." And I wound up winning that Grand Prix, which I had almost not even planned to attend. And I was back at the hotel with Reed and I was saying, wow, I guess now I need to think about maybe flying with you to Stockholm to play the next Grand Prix to get platinum. But then it turned out that I not only had made platinum by winning and I just didn't know what my point total was, but this whole MPL thing happened after that. And by winning that Grand Prix, I put myself into the MPL. I had no idea that that was going to happen. And then kind of because of COVID partially, the MPL has sort of been locked for a, a decent amount of time. 
And this is the end of the first season where there, well, this is the first time in a while a bunch of people are going to get relegated. There was a previous relegation at the end of the 2019 season, and then there was about a six-month to a year-long period where nothing was happening because COVID canceled everything. So is part of the ease, like everything is online? Like, you know, you go back two, three years, you'd have to go to multiple events that require travel, hotel stay. That's something you had to think about. Now they're just like, can you log in and play some matches? Is is that part of the ease in system where we're kind of moving to digital and it's just easier to play digital matches? Well, it's, it is true that there's a, a bigger pool of players who you're competing with now, um, but that isn't really what made the older system easier. The older system, it was easier because it was easier to maintain a qualification status at the Pro Tours if you were willing to travel to Grand Prix and were a decent player, because you would get a bunch of shots. You could play your local PTQs to try to qualify for the Pro Tour, or you could fly to Grand Prix to try to qualify for the Pro Tour. So you could grind events, basically, right? You can, if you put in more time, you can accumulate the points needed. You could also get partial event or partial invites from grinding the, the, these things. So you didn't even have to win necessarily. My understanding of the current effective PTQ system, which I, I haven't had to play in any of these events, is basically it's the thing that's called an MCQ on Arena, where you, you have to do well in the ladder for one month, which that is pretty attainable for anybody who should... If you're considering being a pro Magic player, that ladder requirement should be something you think is pretty easy to do. But then you, have to, you get one shot at a tournament basically every three months. And you have to qualify through that to get to the Pro Tour. And then you need to do well at the Pro Tour or you're back at, at square one again. And to get from that state up to the point where you're in Rivals, you need to do well at multiple Pro Tours. That's going to get you invited to a, one of these gauntlet tournaments. And you're going to need to do fairly well in that. I think it's possible the top challenger people are going to be guaranteed being in Rivals. I'm not 100% sure how that works. Like there are rules that govern it, but I don't know what they are. So from the from the perspective of a challenger, let's say let's say the worst case happens. Uh, you, you drop down to rivals. Things go poorly next season. You drop down to challenger. How practical do you think it is to to go from challenger to rivals or MPL? And for you personally, like if you did drop out of rivals, is that something you'd even try to do or would you just look at that as like i don't know the end of trying to be a professional magic player for, for me that's probably going to be the end of trying to be a professional magic player like i i might continue to play i'd probably continue to play arena and maybe you know qualify to play in this this pro ptq effectively and i would play in it but i wouldn't i wouldn't base my life around trying to get back into rivals or the mpl do you think it should be easier for uh, it, it's such a it's such a weird system because you have you have the pros we were talking about earlier who getting relegated is a huge deal and a big income cut. And there's not much stability there if you do get uh, dropped down out of one of the leagues. But at the same time, we hear complaints from the other side where people in Challenger feel like it's too difficult to become a pro magic player. So uh, what do you think of like the system overall, I guess, like. Is it working for the pros? Is it working for the challengers? Or is it, I don't know, how does it compare to the old system in that regard? Well, I'm not sure the system works that well for anybody, 
right now, to be honest. I mean, I guess it, it, it's worked well for me for the past two or three years. I, I think Wizards' idea when they made this system was they wanted to have a somewhat stable group of people at the top who could be, you know, who could promote the game and be known as professional players. And so they wanted to make it so there would be some stability. And also the stability is good for the pro players who want to do this as a career for, you know, if, if you're trying to have a five or 10 year career as a pro magic player, for a lot of people, it's lasted longer than that. But if you're trying to have some amount of predictability so you can have a career, the stability is good for the people at the top. I, I think the problem with the system is that there's not a ton of opportunity for the people who are outside of it to get into it. And it's not just that it's really hard, because realistically, it's going to be really hard no matter what. You're trying to winnow down the population of all the people who want to play professional magic to the best 75 or so people. And it, it's just that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to wind up on the outside of that. But the problem is that there's not this system is missing any sort of like stepping stones. Whereas before, you know, if you, if you decided you wanted to get into playing magic and you wanted to play competitively, like maybe you would play with your friends at school and then you'd find out that you could go and play at an FNM and you show up at the FNM and maybe you don't do so well, but eventually you learn or you, you know, you build a better deck, whatever, and you start winning at FNM, you learn, you can go to a PTQ, you go to the PTQ, take a couple of shots and maybe, you know, you top eight, Eventually, you qualify for the Pro Tour, and you know maybe you do well there, maybe you don't. But like there, there were milestones you could hit, and you could feel like you were becoming more and more engaged in the system, and you could see what your next goal is. I think for too many people, like they play on the ladder on Arena, and then there's just not really a clear next step for them. So they don't feel like they're connected to the system at all. Whereas before, it was it was a pretty clear, you know, ladder you had to try and climb up. This is just you're either in or you're out. There's there's not really a any middle ground. Yeah, that that makes uh that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's some feedback we've heard from other people and and people who have uh, like dropped out of rivals that there isn't really there isn't really much below that. You're either you're either in Rivals or MPL or you're one of a group of potentially millions of people who would be considered challengers. And there's just not much outside of that. What do you think about how confusing the system might be? That's another big uh, piece of feedback we've heard. Not so much. I mean, I guess from players to some extent, but very much from the community and fans who are watching is to try to understand the system and I do podcasts and do magic for a living and even I kind of struggle with it you have a website that's like a 20 page document with a bunch of charts and it's not super graspable when the old system it's kind of like oh you win and then you go to the next thing like you were describing like do you think the the current system is just too much for a lot of people to take in or too confusing or isn't that as big of an issue as uh maybe some people make it seem uh I I do think it's too confusing this is kind of so this might not be obvious to, to people who aren't, aren't inside of it, but Wizards of the Coast, you know, they, they, have, dif they have different departments. And there's one department that handles esports. There's another department that designs the cards. There's another department that works on Arena. And I think what, what's happened is, at least in terms of making the MPL successful or, or the, the things that are Pro Tours now successful, 
there are some pretty big problems that, that, that they have to overcome. And the people who work on esports don't have the ability to overcome those. So they've wound up instead spending a lot of effort into trying to make a system that addresses all of these issues that are within their control. So you've got something that's like really complicated and hard to hard for people to understand because that's what they've been able to work on improving. And there are aspects of the kind of complicated system that are actually really good, but it's just it's too much for people to take in. Like one one thing I, I I will credit them with this. I was explaining this whole like you know one person wins at the end of the league weekend and they're removed from the league, and I've seen people kind of make fun of that on Twitter that like who wants to watch a, a regular season where they make the best people stop playing, like that doesn't make any sense. But I I think it was done for a very good reason, which competitive magic for a long time had this culture where if you were locked for the top eight in a, in an event. And you were playing. You were paired against someone who was not locked for the top eight. You would concede to them, and it was just it was horrible for like the kind of the competitive spirit of the event. It looked awful to the spectators. So one of the things the esports team has tried to do is get rid of all of these areas where somebody would have felt pressured to concede to someone or would just decide to concede to them for whatever reason. Like they, they, first of all, they, they made it so you're just flat out not allowed to do that anymore. And if they actually discovered people were doing it, you would probably get kicked out of the league. But beyond that, they've, they've tried to structure their events so that that just doesn't happen anymore, or it happens as rarely as possible. And I think that that's something that's definitely a big improvement for competitive magic. So there are some pluses to the system, but yeah, it, it's too complicated. Yeah, I, I actually really like that insider perspective there because as fans, we're just seeing like, why is my favorite player kind of punished for doing too good, right? Into playing too well, you get removed. And in that regards, it makes sense. But at the same time, I still think it's it's kind of like a lose-lose situation. I don't know how you fix the culture because like the whole point was Wizards is building up these big personalities, right? You want these big names that people will associate with magic, but then you remove them Hence, you just removed all the star power you just built. Uh, so it's it's a little awkward. I, I don't know how you would fix that. Well, uh, but to tie that in, what do you think the main goal of MPL is? Do you think it's like high level competitive play? Do you think it's star power building? Do you think it's just general marketing? Like, how do you see it? And like, how do you see yourself fitting into that? Well, I, I, I'm not sure what its identity is at this point. I think that... Do you guys pay any attention to like Overwatch League or League of Legends? Uh, I used to watch Overwatch when it first launched, but I regularly watch League of Legends like to this day. Okay. I, I watch League of Legends. I've never watched Overwatch. But my understanding is that Overwatch League, when they started that, that was like a gigantic cash infusion for, I think it's owned by Activision. Basically, they sold franchises to a bunch of like NBA teams and like... It, venture capitalists and people for like tens of millions of dollars. And it, it, they were selling those people on the idea that Overwatch League was going to be like the next version of the NFL or something, and you could get in on the ground floor. At the, I think at the time that was going on, it was part of this giant hype around esports, and the people at Wizards were like, well, we've got Arena coming out. We want to be part of this whole esports wave. We don't want to get you know left behind. 
So when they made the MPL, that was sort of their idea of like, we're going to be part of esports now. And if you, Overwatch League just laid off like most of their staff that did Overwatch League, and they've dramatically scaled down their ambitions for what the league is going to be, which is part of just this general thing that kind of the esports hype train has died out. So now it, it's like, I, I don't think that the MPL is going to live up to Watsi's kind of unrealistic expectations for what it was going to mean to be an esport. Because I think that they were trying to move from when it, when it was just the Pro Tours, it was kind of a, it was mostly a, a thing that people would they'd watch, but it was something you would aspire to participate in potentially. And the MPL was supposed to be something that people would mostly spectate, and it wasn't realistic to aspire that you were going to participate in it. And I don't think that that has worked out that well for for competitive magic. Like I, th- I think that it needs to have that element that you're you're watching it, but you also think, okay, here's the path where I can start participating in it. Yeah, I think that might even be borne out with uh with like views on Twitch and so forth. Which one of the interesting things to me has been that. Magic tournaments, for whatever reason, uh, have less viewers now, like the equivalent of a pro tour today, like the Keldheim Championship or whatever, has less Twitch viewers than just like a random pro tour from the past. And I, I wonder if maybe Wizards underestimated how much that that attainability played into it, like uh, the dream of, yeah, you're watching, but you're also thinking, wow, that could be me someday. That makes me want to go play my next PTQ because I'm going to get there. And uh, and that does really seem to be missing today. And uh, what do you think about the whole idea of magic as an esport? Like, that's <laughs> I guess the other thing that comes up is like, you know, even if Wizards could design the perfect system, the absolute ideal system, do you think magic as a game could actually thrive as an esport or is it not really it's a paper card game like it does it have systemic issues that could keep it from being an overwatch or some super popular uh, esport well it's certainly less visual than most of the i mean the successful esports i know i i, I, don't, I don't know that i even there, there, there's even like a real definition of what it means to be an esport like the the viewership numbers haven't been great for the set championships or the league weekends, but there are still, you know, there, there's thousands of people that tune in to watch it. And I'm sure that more people go back and watch the VODs. So it's not like it's completely not viable as a spectator thing, but I, I do think that it's, uh, we can go into more, more maybe like there's been a lot of problems with the scheduling and the production of stuff that it, has held things back, but I, I, I think it it certainly could be more successful than it has been. I, I guess is the only way I could answer that. You mentioned scheduling, and so when I watch League of Legends, right, I I'm watching for like cool, flashy plays. I'm watching for storylines. When I watch Magic now, especially since I'm not you know a spike anymore, I'm not aspiring pro uh, pro play. I don't really care how well people play like yeah there, there's some factor to that but what i'm looking for is actually spicy decks and kind of like cool things that happen right like someone mulls the four and they somehow pull out the win right that's cool but you know i'm not looking for i don't know a cobblade mirror with like tight play because i don't understand anything that's going on anyway right my, my understanding of magic is not high enough to appreciate that uh, like similar to football people are just watching people get tackled 
right? You're not looking at the actual X's and O's and like the the in-depth strategy there. That's like too far advanced for the normal person. And I feel magic with the new schedule has kind of killed a big part of that, which is deck lists, right? When you had a, a new set release, you would have a pro tour uh, slightly after. Uh, you would see all the new decks from the pros. The pros would all gather, go into their houses, brew something up, and you would actually get something interesting come out. Now we have the Kaldheim Championship happening in the middle of like Strixhaven preview season. We don't know when it's happening. All the decks have been known for a long time, and there's just not as much interest. Uh, so what do you think about that scheduling and like moving back to uh, either like post-set release or even doing like a pre-set release Uh Pro Tour, where all the decks would be fresh and that the community hasn't had time to kind of hive mind it and solve all the decks already? Well, there's a lot of things I'd like to say in response to that. The the first one is that I I would certainly like it if the tournaments were scheduled closer to the release of the sets. And I think that the overwhelming majority of the players in the league would really like that as well. We've certainly asked Wizards to do that a lot. And the, we haven't had any success in getting them to, to change things up. So there's a couple of factors from their perspective, I think. One is that they're worried, because we're doing it on Arena, that there will be technical problems with the release of a set, and it will ruin the event. Mm. So like, I don't know how much you're paying attention to what's been going on since uh, Strixhaven came out, but there have been a, there's a couple of issues with Strixhaven, one is with the card Tainted Pact, that it does not, the, the way the, the rope system works on Arena is not friendly for trying to combo kill someone with Tainted Pact uh, in yeah. a way that could would, would really make the it a problem if someone did that in the tournament. There was also at least, maybe not this most recent weekend, but the weekend before, the changes to sideboarding on Arena had made it so that if you direct challenged someone to try to play a best of three like tournament match, it screwed up the sideboarding. So all of the uh, the events that were being run that weekend were done through direct challenging someone to play a limited match because they discovered that that was a workaround for a bug that had been introduced. Yeah, that that makes sense. That's like a legitimate concern. I've experienced that just playing arena on release day. Like, I I think it's kind of well known at this point that the first few days or especially like the first couple of days after a set releases, you kind of never know what's going to happen on arena. Like uh, there could be a lot of crashes. The client could function well. It could hardly function at all. So I I could see why that would be a concern for wizards. The other thing is that I the way they do the scheduling and this is kind of a, a problem with just the general identity of the MPL is at least part of the scheduling is dictated by the idea that it's marketing for Magic. So it's not necessarily chosen, the the timing isn't necessarily chosen for when could we do, when could we put on the most successful event. It seems to be chosen for when could we do something that makes sense from a marketing scheduling perspective, which is why it, it seems like they've been scheduling events so that they can have spoiler previews for the next set recently. Maybe that's not really the logic, but that's what it seems like has been happening to me is we keep playing events where it's they're spoiling cards for the next set, which is obviously way too late for people to be excited about the deck lists that we're currently playing with. I see. So the idea is I'm going to 
I'm going to tune into MPL. And as I tune into MPL, I'm going to see some Strixhaven marketing. Uh, and that's the goal, as opposed to post Strixhaven release, they're already onto the next product, so they don't need to talk about Strixhaven anymore. Uh, so from that perspective, kind of makes sense. But as a fan, it's incredibly disappointing. And I, I don't know if that even works, because I don't know that if you're not tied into the Magic community, you would know about these MPL matches to begin with. Like, more people know about preview season than uh mpl so it seems weird that they're using mpl to promote previews yeah and it, that, that scheduling thing was it was speculation on my part but it does it really matches with what yeah. they've been what they seem to be doing and, and the other thing i, I was going to say about the the broadcast is i think that i i think you're right that people can't they can't be expecting people to tune in and watch the matches because they're going to see super tight gameplay which it, it, that is what you get to see. Like if you if you can really follow what's going on and you get to watch like PV or Andre or Nasif play a match, like they play extremely well. And if your goal is to learn how to get better, you can learn a lot from watching that. But I think for most viewers, it's just it, like it's not something they're going to be able to get out of it, and it's not something that the commentators can really help with that much, even. And it's I don't think it, the commentators even. That's not even really their job. Their job is to make it entertaining, not to make it educational. So I, I like I think that if you're tuning in to watch, there's you can see like the personality of the players, which you don't get a lot of that. I mean, we at least have webcams now, but it, you don't really get much personality from the players. You can see the gameplay, which is I think very hard for people to to grasp, or you can see the deck lists. And I think the deck list is the thing that would be the easiest for people to get something out of watching the MPL, but because of the scheduling, it's just been completely pointless. Like even a lot of the events, even if they weren't right before the release of a next set, we've played a lot of events in the past year where it was really obvious that a card needed to be banned before the event and it wasn't banned, but it was banned the, the day after the event. Yeah. What it, and to, to ask you a question about that, one of the things I've heard from people is, uh, Wizards is a is afraid of making changes before the event because it kind of throws a wrench into the pros plans. Like you've been testing decks and you have an idea what you want to play. Uh, how much water does that hold? Like, is, is that a consideration as a pro player? Like, if they did ban the card right before the event rather than after the event, is that better or worse for you as someone playing the event? Uh, it depends on the, the player. So it, it is true that they'll... Wizards will generally tell the people who are going to be in an event that we're not going to ban any cards less than two weeks before the event. So they create a time window where people can be confident that if they're testing a deck, the deck's going to be legal when it comes time for the event. And I think that it, depending on, like, if Magic is your full-time job, it honestly wouldn't be that big of a deal if they banned a card three days for the, before the event for me. Like that would be enough for me to play, you know, I would just play two, two whole days and figure out what I was going to play. But that would be completely unfair for people who qualified for the set championship who, you know, they work a full-time job or they have a family and they can't just drop everything in their lives to test for two days after this last minute ban comes out. So it, it, it's being done, it's being done to, have fairness in the events so there's more of a level playing field 
which I think is reasonable, but it's it's just unfortunate. There's had to have been so many bands for the past year or year and a half, whatever it's been. Yeah. What do you what do you think about the last year or two of standard? That's a uh, that's something else we wanted to bring up. Just we've had a lot of overpowered cards. We've had a lot of bannings. How has that been from the perspective of a pro player? Uh, pretty miserable, if I'm being honest. Like it's one of the things that. It, might not be obvious to people who have never, you know, been in, in kind of the, the pro player community is you, you want to, in order to prepare for the tournaments, you oftentimes have to play a ton of constructed. Like you, you, it's, it wouldn't be unusual to play constructed for like, you know, 12 hours a day for two weeks in a row. And when there are overpowered cards, it's really miserable because it generally makes the games not as fun to play. And it means that you, it's so hard to find something like if you're the only person who finds the broken deck, that's great. But that hasn't been what happens. What, what, what's been happening is the whole world knows about the broken deck and you just spend, you know, hours and hours beating your head against the wall trying to figure out how to beat it, which is almost never possible. So, and, and then when it, you finally get to the event, it, it's, it's not fun playing an event, at least for me, where you go into it knowing you're going to play against like a team of rec deck 50% of your rounds. And you, you know, you're going to sit there and you're just going to play, you know, six or seven, especially if you play team of rec and you, you wind up playing eight team of rec mirrors on the weekend. It, it's just not exciting. Yeah. So it, uh. the, it, it, it's been bad. And I, I think that if you look at, you know, some of the, the lack of popularity in the MPL, I think it's hard to separate it from the fact that it's all gone on while... I, I guess it, it, the MPL started before Throne of Eldraine was out, but almost the entire life of it, Throne of Eldraine has been in standard. And I think that's Throne of Eldraine is like pretty clearly the worst set for competitive magic in the history of magic. Like it, it, it just had way too many overpowered cards, and even the cards that are left, are, they're still too good. But I think that they just ran, they lost their appetite for continuing to ban cards. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it does. It does kind of feel like they just got banned out. Do you feel like we've turned a corner, though? That's something I've been thinking about lately. Like, uh, we had Zendikar Rising. Yeah, Omnath was a mistake. But otherwise, it seems okay. Uh, Kaldheim, Strixhaven don't seem to really be breaking standard. I know we had some modern issues with like Tybalt Valky and Tybalt's uh, the counter spell, uh, but do you feel like they've turned a corner with design or have we just kind of got lucky the last couple sets and, uh, and it happened to be at a power level where we didn't need a ton of standard bannings? Uh, well, I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I think it's probably a somewhat conscious decision on their part to have made the, the sets a little bit less strong because they didn't, I, I think they realized that Throne of Eldraine was overpowered. Uh, one, one thing I was going to say, so the, I think if you look at the standard from Kaldheim era, I, I think if we, hadn't, if we hadn't been playing with the adventure cards from Eldraine for so long, that standard era would actually be regarded as like a pretty good standard era. Like I, there's a decent variety of decks. There, there's nothing that's like too miserable to play against. But the problem is that so much of it is adventure cards and companions. And everyone has already been playing against those cards for like a year. And even if, you know, they weren't the most busted thing that happened in the previous year, it, we're just seeing those same cards in slightly less busted shells. And they're still better than the new cards. So it, it's, I, I really wish that they would 
I, I was hoping they were just going to early rotate all of Throne of Eldraine back when Zendikar came out, and they obviously didn't do that. I'm still kind of hoping they're just going to decide that, yeah, we need to, we're going to get rid of Throne of Eldraine two or three months early and just shake standard up. But that I, there's no reason to expect that's really what's going to happen. So I would also appreciate that. But uh, yeah, go ahead, Richard. Do you think part of it is Wizards doesn't care about standard? That Strixhaven is meant for casual players, for commander players, for all kinds of magic players, where strictly in the past, these were standard sets. Now they're sets for all people. Do you think that is what's causing this? Like, yeah, they know there are problems with standard, but like, I don't know, whatever, it's fine. We'll just, we'll just add some commander cards or whatever, right? And we'll, we'll sell the packs. We'll add some mystical archives. It'll be good. Like, do you think that plays into it or like a shift in priorities? Or do you think they're just trying really hard and they're falling short? Well, there, there was... I, I- I know Seth linked to an article that some esports journalist had done where he had interviewed Aaron Forsyth. Mm-hmm. And I, I went and read Aaron's comments. And I think Aaron made the point that, yes, they're tr- they, they've started trying to make the standard set so they appeal to a broader range of players. And I think that just with Throne of Eldraine and Ikoria, I, I think they just didn't understand how to do that right initially. Like I think that what they I, I think they powered up some stuff kind of in the wrong way. I also think that just they're going to need to adjust a lot to a world where most of standard is played on arena. And if you they they just flat out say that standard is like their priority for arena. They're they're trying to build arena so that it's going to be driven by standard. And I think that what that means is that the like the power level of the cards needs to be in a much narrower band than they were used to just because it, they can't have things get figured out as fast as they are and also just the way the the wild card system works where it it's not like when you were playing at your local store and there just weren't enough of the you know the very best cards there weren't a, there wasn't enough for everyone in the store to build like their copy of teamer adventures there just weren't going to be enough bone crusher giants or there, at least for early on in the, the life cycle of the set, you just couldn't, not everybody could have the best deck. So some people were just, they were going to play the second best deck and, you know, it, everybody would still have fun and you'd get to play against a variety. But with the way wild cards work on Arena, everybody can just use their wild cards on the perceived best deck. And that just leads to everything kind of narrowing down much more quickly. So, and it just leads to a worse experience for everyone. And that's a that's a really good point. How the the wild card system ends up impacting that. Speaking of arena, now that we're kind of hopefully maybe uh, getting out of the pandemic era or at least heading that direction, uh, what do you think the the future looks like for the MPL as far as tabletop versus arena? Like, do you think once the pandemic is no longer a concern, we'll go back to having a mixture of like pro events that are tabletop and arena, or do you think that we're just going to mostly stay on arena as far as uh, the MPL level play is concerned? I I don't really know the answer to that. Like I, I haven't wizards hasn't told us anything about what their plans are for bringing back paper at the end of the pandemic, or even they, they haven't told us that necessarily like next year, the MPL is going to exist in, in the same form. Oh. Like people are definitely are, are battling for slots in the MPL, 
but there's no guarantee that there's going to be like an MPL league weekend next year. I, I have no idea whether or not they're going to choose to continue doing that or try a different system. It, Wizards generally treats the pro players well. So I think even if there is some sort of turnover, Wizards is going to, you know, the people who earned a slot in the MPL are going to er, have earned whatever the, the, the top tier of a new system is, or, or it could just continue to be the same system. I really don't know. Um, in terms of like what's going to happen when the pandemic ends, honestly, you guys might be in a better position to guess than me. Cause I sort of feel like in order to get competitive standard restarted in the post pandemic world, it's going to take a pretty big investment from wizards in, you know, supporting local game stores, kind of propping up the the GP circuit to get it going again. Because, like, I personally, I have not, I've never seen a physical card from Ikoria forward. The last physical card I've, I've had in my hand was from Theros. Wow. And if they restart competitive paper play, and, you know, if they're going to have a paper pro tour, I'll just buy a standard deck if that's what I need to play in it. But I can't imagine there are very many people who are going to feel like that. Yeah, like I, I don't think that people are going to buy a standard deck to hope that other people also buy a standard deck to start playing FNM again. Like I, I think Wizards is going to have to to do something to really kickstart that if they want it to restart. Yeah, I I'm not sure that we're going to see standard uh, be heavily supported in paper again. I guess I'm. Uh, I guess the issue is Arena doesn't support other formats. Like Pioneer was kind of taking off before the pandemic hit. Uh, we have Modern, of course, which is a very popular format. So that's, I guess that's what I'm worried about. So I would personally, I would be surprised if we saw a big push to bring Standard back to paper. But I really do hope that uh, that there is something with tabletop for the sake of formats that are popular but just aren't options on Arena at this point and look like they probably won't be options on Arena for a, a pretty long time if they are at all. But uh, Richard, uh, I think you're going to say something and I, I cut you off. Uh, go ahead. I mean, we've talked about it multiple times, but I think like tabletop standard is done. I think when pandemic is over. I think we will return to FNM, but I think FNM will be Commander. Right? Like I I don't like I just can't imagine you sitting down and deciding, yeah, I'll drop like 2-300 on a paper standard deck, play it 2 weeks after it's been released on Arena already and, you know, I've been able to grind hundreds of matches on Arena and then I'll sit down and play some paper. Like I, I just don't see that choice happening. I I do see the the need for like, I want to meet my friends. I want to meet people. I want to play a social game of magic and they'll just bring their commander decks. So I, I don't know. Uh, like, where does this leave modern? Where does this leave like legacy, pioneer, stuff like that? I, I don't know, but I think it's really, it's a really tough sell to play tabletop standard with arena being so easy to play and getting its release way before you could get physical magic cards. So, uh, so, Andrew, we're, we're kind of getting towards the end. I got a couple of questions for you that are a little bit outside of the, the OP uh, realm and the MPL realm. But do you have anything else uh, that you wanted to get in, I guess, about MPL, organized play, any of the stuff we've been talking about before uh, before we hit up a couple other topics quickly? I, I guess one thing that I would kind of like to touch on 
because I think it's something that, that the community could probably help pressure wizards into doing a better job is that arena really does not have very good support for competitive play. Like it, it, it's been two years or so and arena started with a ton of potential and a, a lot of that hasn't been realized because it, it, it hasn't improved. So in terms of like spectator mode, being able to run tournaments and also it, the, this is probably the biggest thing is just having more of an op an opportunity to play competitively on arena. It, it basically, I, I know for like some people, they feel like playing on the ladder is that's enough to get their competitive fix in. But I think if you're looking at like where the next generation of competitive players are going to come from, you don't it, like the ladder is not a high enough level of competition for people to be able to make the jump from doing well on the ladder to actually, you know, winning a pro tour or qualifying for the MPL. Like, I, I think that's something that people probably don't necessarily perceive that there is a, a pretty big skill gap between the people who are typically in the top hundred of the ladder and like the, the actual MPL and rivals players who very frequently just don't even play on the ladder at all. And there, there needs to be more of an opportunity on Arena for people to play competitively and to, to improve if they want to have, you know, competitive be a big part of Arena. What would that look like in your opinion? Like, how would we get the highest level of play onto Arena? Would that be more like tournaments? Would that be a different ladder under some different qualification? Like, where do you see that going? Well, I, I think there's a couple. One of like the Arena Opens. I think are a really good opportunity to have like higher level competition, which I, I don't know about your guys' Twitter feeds, but whenever they do one of those arena opens, mine is filled with old pro players posting their screenshot of having won $2,000. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, like <laughs> esports. Like, like people, people who, you know, they, they, they got a they got put in the magic hall of fame 10 years ago. And they, they are not really still trying to be competitive Magic players, but they go and they play in the Arena Open and a bunch of them win. Not, not everybody wins, obviously, but it, it's like that level of competition where it, you, you need to give people who are new to the game a chance to actually compete against really good people who are really trying for them to have a chance to get better. And Arena doesn't do that. They also, they could just do things like having some way to see who's at the top of the ladder. So there was some amount of prestige attached to it. Or I, when I used to stream, I always thought that it would be cool if, if I'm like in the top 10 or number one on the ladder or whatever, that I had a special custom battlefield that would only get used when people got paired against somebody who were, was high against the ladder, because then that would show up in your stream's thumbnail. So rather than all this, the silly clickbaity titles where it's somebody claiming they're trying to get to be number one, you could actually tell by looking at the thumbnails who was, you know, who are the people who are actually playing it high up on the ladder. I like that. That would actually that would actually be really interesting. I feel like you've played Magic Online, obviously, as well. Uh, I've always felt like Arena is less competitive for someone like me who kind of like plays leagues and plays the ladder than Magic Online Uh uh, do you think that arenas less competitive in general than than Magic Online as far as being able to play against high level players and learn that way? Oh uh, yeah, it's it's massively less so, 
And, and some of that is just when you play on Magic Online, you're always playing for some level of stakes. Where like an arena ladder match has basically no stakes. Uh, I, mean, I I don't know about you, but like if I get paired in a ladder match against someone who's playing slow, I'll just concede. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like, it, it, it just it like like winning or losing doesn't matter at all. So it, it, it's even when someone gets paired against me on an arena ladder match, there's no guarantee that I'm actually paying attention while I'm playing. And there's certainly no guarantee that I've put any thought into what deck I'm playing with. So it, it's, it, it's very different from if you got paired against me on Magic Online, you know, I, I at least would have, you know, I, I paid some money to play in the event and maybe I'm just, I'm just playing a random deck I'm trying out. But like I'm at least trying to win back my entry fee. Whereas on the ladder, that just doesn't happen. So it, it's just, it's definitely, I, I've watched Kroki stream some and he seems like a very good player, but I think that he's just not getting exposed to tournaments where you're always playing against someone who is, you know, putting, making a real effort to win. And as you do better, you get, you start getting paired against other people who are also doing better. So at the end, you know, if you win the tournament, you've, you've accomplished something. Not like you played the ladder for three hours and you won 65% of your matches. It, it, it's a very different feeling. Yeah, this is a problem across, I guess, all games uh, that have ladders like League of Legends. Like pro players don't play on the ladder that often. And when they do, they're not playing seriously. Uh, so it's, it's hard to, you know, if you're number one in ladder, it doesn't necessarily mean you're the best player or you belong in the, the pro scene. Uh, but having more actual tournaments, I think, could solve that where you get pros to participate with stakes involved. Then they'll, like, you know, actually think about their deck, play seriously, and and then you can actually measure. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a pretty interesting uh, interesting take on, on that uh, to increase level competitive. Because, as you said, like, this is where Magic is being played nowadays. And what you're doing is you're creating a new generation of players who aren't good, right? Which... You know, in the long run, pro play will suffer for it, right? We're not getting new pro players as our existing player base ages and moves on, right? So fostering kind of the up and coming talent, uh, it should be a high priority for Wizards if they want to keep this going 10, 20 years into the future. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to tell you a funny story, which I'm going to leave out the name of the, the player so as not to embarrass them or get them in trouble. There's a player in the MPL who literally never played a match of Magic before the companion rule with the Ikoria companions was changed. You remember how, you know, you didn't used to have yeah. to pay three to put them in your hand <laughs> cast them. There's a guy in the MPL who never played a match of magic under that, the original rule. <laughs> and, and that player is still much better than even the, the, the people at the top of the arena ladder who aren't also in, in the leagues. But, like th there's just, Arena just doesn't isn't a training ground for people to really get their skills to the point where they're they they can start moving into the you know the top tier of the competitive scene. And when I was talking about how it you know it needs to be more of something people participate in, that that's kind of what I mean. Is it's it's not just that they, you don't have the opportunities to literally qualify. You don't have the opportunities to improve and like learn what you need to learn to succeed getting into the top tier. 
Oh, well, I think we should probably uh, wrap up our MPL conversation there. But I got to ask you before we wrap up, Andrew, uh, I know you're big into uh, to guitar. So what are uh, what are some guitarists who are inspirational? Top top three guitarists or something. Uh, I would be very curious to know because I also uh, play guitar and love music. So uh, top guitarists. Top three. Well, uh, number one is Dave Rawlings. Do you know who that is? I do not know who Dave Rollins is. Who he was he is, with the band? He is a guitar player who plays with this, I, I guess, bluegrass singer. This is the Jillian Welch. Who, I've heard, it, it, it's I've like heard acoustic, the name. Yeah, it's acoustic music. I, they actually, I think, won the Grammy in 2020 for the best bluegrass album. But they've been making albums for a long time. D- Dave Rollins is just, he's, he's really an amazing guitar player. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I, I have a really, really wide eclectic interest in music. So like, you know, like jazz guitarists like Wes Montgomery, or uh, I, I got into listening to Julian Lodge, who's a, a, a newer jazz musician. Do you uh, also play jazz? Like what, what style do you play the most? Uh, that's... I, I, I've gone through phases where I've tried to play jazz, and jazz is not something you can pick up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, jazz <laughs> is put down. It, it, it's tricky. You, you really have to be devoted to it. So I'm not very good at it. Uh, but like most of, I spent a lot of time playing like in punk rock bands. Or uh, do you know what math rock is? Uh, uh yeah, I, I do. It's sort of. It, it's basically like music with weird time signatures yeah kind of musicians would understand <laughs> yeah stuff that kind of uh, a lot of indie stuff not really made for the mass audience uh, to some extent yeah so like that that's the kind of stuff that i mostly played awesome well andrew uh, cuneo thank you so much for joining us today it was amazing to get your perspective on stuff uh, i learned a lot today uh and helped clear up some things that i was confused on about organized play so that was a uh, super awesome of you to join us and to just share your thoughts on stuff so uh, thank you so much yeah thanks for having me and on that note i believe that that brings us to the end of episode 325 of the mtg goldfish podcast no fish mail this week we'll get it next week uh richard if people want to send in fish mail, uh, how should they do that? You can send it to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail. And uh, we'll, we'll do a double dose next week to catch up uh, because a lot of the new set is out. A lot of people are asking a lot of questions. So we'll catch up next week. So thanks again to Andrew Cuneo for joining us. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic. So until then, have an amazing week, everyone. And this is the crew signing out.